0: guy asked me that i prayed with he goes you want to get delivered i go you know what's deliverance man you know like, you know i didn't speak christianese man that's a new language right. what are you talking about man he goes do you want to stop doing drugs i said well i can relate to that and i said yeah dude i hate man i hate the way it makes me fit I said, i do it every day but i hate it yeah i'll pray but as he laid his hands on me the, the power of the holy ghost did me and i was fell down under the power of god I and mean,
1: Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday.
2: All right, we are back once again on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam with you, and it is Testimony Tuesday. So we are here once again with a guest. Uh, pastor from our fellowship, uh, the CFM Ministries around the world, 3,400 churches and growing with every passing day. We are blessed to have such an amazing collection of pastors and evangelists around the world doing a great work for God. Uh, And with this podcast, we are trying to get out their stories of what God has done in their lives. And today we're very blessed and privileged to have evangelist Mike Gomez uh, on the show with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Well, this was, uh, this was a, a tough one in the making. I ha- We had to reschedule our interview about three times, I think. Finally got it done. So I appreciate yeah. your patience with that. Yeah, here we are. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Mike Gomez, uh, Evangelist Mike Gomez, you are evangelizing out of the Colton Church in California under Pastor Eric Strutz. And uh, for those who don't know you, why don't you give yourself... Uh, An introduction, and give us the uh, the three to five minute uh, conference style testimony of what God's been doing in your ministry.
0: Well, as of late, I've been seeing quite uh, a few miracles taking place. I've been evangelizing since uh, uh, two thousand fourteen this time, and so you know, as anybody, I wasn't real famous, you know, and people didn't know who I am, so I had to plug away to get my name out there. but God's been good. He's been faithful. Had the struggles during COVID, like a lot of guys, but God moved there. I had lots of testimonies as far as Him moving on my behalf financially, and so I've been staying busy over the course of time, and I feel it's God's will for my life. So I've been contending for the supernatural. God's been validating His message with miracles and and uh, you know gifts of the Spirit, things like this, and, and I do appreciate those who have me keep coming back, and so that's always good. There's a few of them to do so. Up to date, and my wife and I, and uh, she's she's on board. She's all into me being an evangelist. And so I have five daughters. I get to take some of them with me sometimes. We just got back from a boot camp where I'm a drill instructor in one of the boot camps. And so, and uh, my daughters were in part of that one. And actually, we had a great time. Uh, a lot of people I know know this, but we actually had an Asbury type experience there on a Wednesday night where it's almost like the Teenagers didn't want to go back to their barracks, so Pastor Ray Ruby, who was the head of that particular boot camp, but uh, you know, dismissed everybody finally. And uh, what took place even after that is some of the boys uh, were praying for the sick in their barracks, praying for people to get full of the Holy Ghost, and uh, it was revival, man. It was really wow. it, it was a reference point for a lot of those teens, as, as well as me. I've never seen that in one of our boot camps to that degree, and so it was very powerful experience so my daughter is still riding on the high of that and so i I said keep the fire burning
2: that's fantastic wow awesome praise god for that wow so um yeah we we had a similar event take place in the boot camp last year over here in jacksonville north carolina my daughter got to be a part of that as well it was very exciting and uh seems like god is is doing that in uh in a in a special way in this generation yeah hopefully uh, it's the Kindling of a revival movement, huh?
0: Yeah, Brother Schultz and uh, Willis both told me about that particular thing last year. So they referenced that as well. And so that was pretty awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah very awesome. And um, we want to be on the forefront of that. Absolutely. So that's exciting to hear that it's yes, not just in one place at one time, but uh, it's beginning to spread. Hallelujah.
0: Yeah, that's what we need these teenagers
2: get on fire for God, man. Amen. That's right. That's right. So five girls, that's a lot of girls in one house. Yeah, I'm thinking about writing a book, you know, so (laughs) I'm an expert now. (laughs) Yeah. What would your title be? Uh, Father Knows Best. (laughs) Don't go insane. (laughs) Yeah, don't go insane. No,
0: actually, it's, it's been good. People always question me. They always say things like, you know, how could you know, wow, I feel sorry for you. But you know, my girls are it's been very good so far. You know, God's, they're all saved. they will have a relationship with Jesus. And so my well,
2: that youngest makes it twins, good, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Very good. So, and, you know, um, I have one that's married. I'm a grandfather now. That's a whole nother level of ministry. Hallelujah. Yeah. And I thought I'd be yeah, dead. I- I'm at
2: 25. Here I am a grandpa. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm excited to hear that story. But quickly, before we jump in, I I had a guy explain to me why girls are better than boys. Uh, I was working a while ago uh, when my wife was pregnant with our second daughter, and she had gone to the doctor to get the ultrasound, and we found out that it was going to be a second daughter. And so I was kind of bummed out, you know, because I was kind of hoping for a boy, you know, so I, I was telling him, yeah, it's gonna be a girl. And he said, listen, I had three girls and I had one boy and the girls are better than the boy. And here's why he said, when you raise a boy, you, if you do it right, the boy's going to go off, become a man and start his own life and his own family. And he's probably going to leave you in the dust, but the girls, Oh, how they stay connected to dad. If that relationship is right. He said, my girls come and, Visit me and talk to me, and so, anyways, he, he with a wise counsel he gave me. I was very glad to have two girls. Yeah, man, I'm telling.
0: There are some. Uh, uh, Pastor Mitchell had mentioned a book years ago uh, by a woman named Dr. Meg Meeker. She did a book called Epidemic, and she did a follow up on that book because she had so much information why these girls survive the adolescent craziness and, you know, the promiscuity and things like that. And she made the connection. The title of her book was strong fathers, strong daughters. And mm. and so I recommended that book to fathers of daughters, especially because there is that connection. She made that. She says that the, they always have that reference point in life that, you know, that's my dad, you know, it doesn't matter what they're going through. They'll always keep that in mind. You know, my dad said, my dad taught me this. And so if you got a good, strong father, you'll have good, strong daughters.
2: Praise God. Well, I got to definitely pick up that book.
0: Yeah, it's a little dated, but it's still, it's still, it's still good. It's still relevant.
2: Amen. All right. Well, al- already uh, the the interview is worth it. I'm g- getting yeah. getting things out of it. So, uh, Pastor Mike, why don't you tell us uh, about your history and how you grew up, and how and where, and what was life like for you as a little guy growing up?
0: Okay. Well, it's kind of a, you know, I guess, a common story. Sad now these days. I did uh, grow up with a father. Being an evangelist, I, uh, I called my mother from time to time. She knows I travel. So I called her when I was in Mesquite, Nevada. And uh, just touching base with her and saying how. Oh, and she goes, where are you at? And I told her, Mesquite. And before I could finish my sentence, she goes, oh, that's where your father left us. And so I had never heard this side of the, her story. You know, I just knew my dad had left. And so she says, uh, she goes, I'll never forget it, Mike. She goes, you were, you know, I was, I'm the oldest of four. Wow. Uh, one of my sisters passed away last year. And so but uh, I was six, and then on down every two years, my sister, Ford, my other sister uh, was two. And then I had my youngest brother, new boy, she says he left us went to work never came back. Hmm. And so uh, she came back, she says, and you know, we were still there waiting for her. And so she my mom was broken down about this. She's you know. She, you know, years of torment and all this. And so, and so we started dialoguing about the effects of that in my life. And I, you uh, know, I told her, and says, I says, one of the things that, uh, you know, growing up without a father, I told her, I says, I said, I used to hate it when my mother would tell me, you know, you're just like your father, you know, and so, because I, I connected the dots as far as all the bad stuff I did, because, you know, six years old, my mother moved back to California. And so, and so I'm just growing up, I'm a last key kid. No, no father, you know, to instruct or to bring discipline. And so basically I just started, you know, getting involved in all kinds of crazy things, you know, started smoking cigarettes, started, you know, uh, looking at porno as a young kid, you know, 10 years old. I had, you know, relationships going on with girls at a very young age, which was kind of sad, but just, you know, trying to find my little niche in life. I also was a very violent kid, which I didn't understand then. But I would actually, you know, sometimes go to school purposely looking for somebody to punch out, you know, or to vent my rage, my anger and different things like this. And I I never really understood. I just thought it was who I was, my makeup, you know. And so it wasn't until I started getting older in life when I realized, you know, all these things that, you know, plus the things that my mom had said, it's because of my dad. And uh, here I didn't know this guy and all the bad stuff is correlated to him. And so I began to hate this man. And I, I actually mm. swore if I ever, if I ever met him, I would kill him. And so I actually enlisted the Marine Corps when I was 17 to change my direction because I was, you know, not going good. And so I went to the Marine Corps and it just compiled the the anger in my heart. You know, I was still a violent man in the Marine Corps and got worse.
2: They don't K- mind I, violent young men, do they? No, they don't mind. Yeah,
0: no, they, they <laughs> kind of.
2: Kind of encourage it, you know.
0: And so, yeah, got out of the Marine Corps, and went back to what I used to do, and got worse. And so, I was visiting my mom one time, and and uh, she made this statement. She goes, oh, "I knew your dad would call when you guys were all growing up." So I'm now 24 years old now, and so she's uh, she's complaining to me about all you know what he's doing. I don't know what she's talking about. This is back in the day when we had phones on the on the you know landlines, you know. And so I'm there, and there's a phone call. And so she gives answers, and she says, hey, it's for you. So I'm thinking, who knows I'm here, you know? This would be four pagers and all that stuff. And so I went and answered the phone, and on the other line this was this male voice. He says, hello, son. And I <laughs> caught me off guard and says, uh, who, who is wants this? this? He says, this is your father. I says, well, I don't have a father. And he, he, wanted, he said, I'd like to talk to you. And I says, man. Uh, you know the the little six year old boy in me wanted to talk and kind of wind out, you know, ask the questions, why you know did you leave us, blah blah blah. But the man in me, I hated him so much. I was like, I don't want to talk to you, man. And so, mm. but he convinced me. I said, listen, if I meet you, I says, I'm I have this uh, the condition is you have to buy me a twelve pack of beer. And if you buy me a twelve pack of beer, I'll uh, I'll hear what you got to say. So he's okay. So I pick him up. And uh, he buys me a twelve pack. I take him up. I had a four wheel drive at the time. I took him up into these little hills. And uh, he's talking to me, and I'm I'm listening to him like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, he just blah 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 blah. And I'm I'm not really soaking anything he's saying. I'm just pounding the beers, listening to him. And finally, I got to the point where I just I had enough. And so, yeah, the kind of person I am, I would you know I'm going to tell you what I think. And so I looked him in his eyes, I say, "Hey, listen, dude." I says, if "You would have been here last year. I probably would have killed you, but." As it stands right now, I don't give a beep about you or about anything. So you can just hit the roll. I'm done talking, and so. But while he was talking, I was actually contemplating I could do this here and drop him off right here in this hillside and be done with it. I was contemplating it seriously, and so, you know, that was the last I seen him. A year later, I ended up getting saved, and so how I got saved was kind of a interesting thing because. I had escalated my sin so quickly, you know. I was going, I was out of control. You know, I was, you know, I was a, I was a drunk since, since uh, you know, probably junior high, druggy since junior high.
2: Pastor it's, Mike, I'm, I'm just curious. Had you had any kind of religious background when you were a kid growing up? No, no religious
0: background whatsoever. You know. Okay. Never went so, to church. My, one of my sisters said she remembers going to church. I think I, if we went to church once, I think I got in a fight at the church. That might have been in oh. elementary school, but I don't remember.
2: Okay, okay.
0: So yeah, matter of fact, on my dog tags, you know, it tells you what kind of religion right. you are. Yeah. So oh, my dog tag says no preference. So, <laughs> so I just had no idea who God was. So I had no reference point. I, I kind of knew there was a God out there. Yeah. But not really knowing who He was. You know, or you know. Matter of fact, I walked out of a bar one time. I was so burnt out on life. I was 24 years old. This is after I had met my father for the first time. And so I'd gone there with a purpose just to drink my, you know, drink into Bolivian, you know, get in a fight, whatever the case came up. I remember leaving that place that night. It's a local bar here. And uh, and I looked to the stars and I said, man, God, if you're real, I said, I'm, I'm sick of this nonsense. I'm I'd gotten burned out of fighting, kind of, you know, where I grew up, At uh, people kind of fought for recreation, <laughs> if I guess you can say that. And so there were certain groups of people that had reputations. You know, I grew up in a place called Fontana, which is uh, right down the road. And uh, our claim to fame is uh, that's where the Hells Angels started. And Sammy Hagar was a red rocker. And so it was kind of a rowdy little town, you know, and so and I had started to develop one of those. You know, testimonies, I guess, of one of those crazy people like to fight. And so there was a certain a bunch of us. But it got to the point in my life where I was like, almost every time I turned around, there was always somebody else wanting to, you know, check my manhood, so to speak, you know. And so I was getting burned out of it. I was like, man, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm like, right, there's got to be more. And so I'm having this dialogue with the sky, you know, walking home. And just, I'm, you know, making a bargain with God's God. Maybe I need a you know, a woman to settle down. Maybe I need to go to church. I don't know. I said, but I'm tired of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so little did I know, he actually heard that prayer. You know? Wow.
1: Because yeah. it
0: wasn't but a few months later that I met this broken young lady. You know, she was, uh, she had her own broken issues. She grew up in a home where, you know, bikers lived in the house. Drugs were everywhere. I actually, when we got Together, I started dealing drugs with her, her mom, and her stepdad. You know, I would deal drugs with family them. business, yeah, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, and so we kind of connected right away. And so, and uh, yeah, yeah. She, the thing is, is she had a more of an, an experience with religion than I did, and so she wasn't really backslidden. She was lost, but she knew more about Jesus because she had a little Pentecostal grandmother that used mm. to basically witness to you, her
2: usually there's a praying grandmother involved in these stories yeah. somewhere
0: yeah so she took her to she took her to church and what have you so she had some stuff in her head that i never heard of, you know and so being on methamphetamines and you know sometimes i'd be up for a couple of days and and then my girlfriend would start to talk about jesus and you know we need to get our hearts right you need to get your right. you know she was like preaching to me you know and i would question i said well who, you know who are you You know, you're telling me what to do, but you're doing the same thing I'm doing. You know, matter of fact, my girlfriend, she told me one time she never met anybody in life that could drink as much beer as I could and smoke as much weed as I could and still hold conversation. And I kind (laughs) of shucked it off and just laughed. I said, well, I had a lot of practice, you know, it's it's been what I've been doing all my life. So and so we, uh, you know, we would get in those conversations from time to time. And uh, uh, I remember taking her out for her birthday. She had just turned 21 and I you know, now she's of legal age. So I, she liked to dance. And so I, you know, I liked to drink. So I took her out to a club and we started on a Thursday night, you know, and then Friday rolls around. We're st- I'm still wide awake and it's, you know, Friday night comes, we go to another club, you know, so I'm still partying. And then Saturday rolls around. I'm still, you know, in high gear, you know, and, uh, we go to another club, you know, and so we just, you know, nonstop for three days.
2: Wow, that's serious
0: and then so uh, Sunday comes around now'm I'm, I'm kind of burnt out I want to chill out and unwind and eventually crash out my little sister comes over my younger sister comes over who just got saved in May and uh she's inviting us to church and so there um, my girlfriend has this you know her her eyes light up she's engaged in this conversation she's hearing things she hasn't heard since her grandmother is talking about being born again. And they're having this dialogue back and forth. You got to come, you got to come to church. And I'm just kind of blowing off in the background, just kind of hitting the pipe, smoking my weed, just, just trying to burn
2: out so I can go to sleep. Could could you locate us in time? What year is this and how old were you? I was, uh, I was almost 25. This is July of,
0: uh, of, uh, of, um, 88. Okay. And so, and I had met my dad the year before, you know, in July of 87. And so, and so here's uh, you know, now they, they're tag teaming. They're, they're, come on, let's just go to church. It's just church. They're going to show a movie. And I'm like, you know, I, I finally caved in. I said, All right, she wants to go. It's a movie. But, you know, look we'll at her. I said, i go. And so the day starts to creep on It starts to turn into evening of summer. And I'm just totally burnt out and then. I noticed my girlfriend getting up and she's, you know, she's getting ready. looks like she's going to go to a club, actually. She's got her mini skirt on. She's putting her makeup on. And I said, hey, where are you going? She goes, aren't we going to church? And I'm like, well, I guess. And so, but I, I told her, I said, I can't go like this. I'm I'm too burnt out. So I went to the room where I had all my drugs. I used to deal, not, not big time, but, you know, just a. I I mean, I had opportunities to do big time, but I never did. I just did it to support my habit. And so I went to the room, busted out a big old line, you know, and then i I'm not you know, I don't know if you've ever done methamphetamines, but if you've been up for a couple of days and you, you know, you're trying to burn out and then you do another one, it's like, you know, putting a recharge in it, boom, you know, and suddenly my heart's mm-hmm. rate and I'm I'm like, Man, I can't go to church like this. I'm, you know, out of my mind, I'm tweaking. So I went and rolled me a big old fat one and, you know, smoked a joint. And I said, All right, I'm I'm cool, I can go to church now, <laughs> you know. And so I uh,
2: gotta go up, but not too high. So
0: you gotta come yeah, back yeah. down so, a little bit. Well, I tell people I I lived a balanced life back in the day, you know.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and so, and so you know, so I put you know some weed in my pocket, you know, a bag of weed and a, a bag of speed. I said, you never know, these Christians might want to party or something, you know. So, you know, I go to church. I'm I'm with her, me and her go, and uh, I I'm wearing flip flops. You know, I got my cutoff shorts on. I got a Tank top says Corona on it, you know. Beer shirt. All my shirts were advertising for sin of some sort. So my marijuana earring in my ear, long hair, and we went to church. You know, and and I, I remember sitting in that in in the in the church. It's the first time I've ever been in church. I don't know what to expect. I'm kind of looking wow. at kind of people like they're all smiling, and I'm like, man, what a, what a trip this is. And then I look over at my girlfriend, and she's she's crying. She's like tears coming down her eyes. And so I wasn't very sensitive at the time. So I look at her and says, Yeah, hey, what's your truth? You know, why are you crying? I came to church. You know, she goes, this is something I always wanted. I, I didn't understand. You know, so I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. So then they end up showing a movie and it happened to be about drugs. There's all these testimony about people that were on drugs and now don't do drugs. And so I'm listening to it. And it was just for I, you. Yeah, I don't remember. If it was uh, a gospel Message in it because you know, but I'm thinking while well, I'm sitting there, y'all want to know about drugs. I'll tell you about drugs because I got drugs in my pocket. I've done tr- pretty much everything that's under the sun up to that point except for heroin, you know. And and I'm thinking, you yeah, know, this don't make no sense to me. This is church, you know. And so, but afterwards they had the altar call. That's when God began to do business with me. I remember. Uh, you know, as uh, they're making a plea for sinners, my girlfriend raised her hand, and then backslider she raised her hand again, and, she, I, you know, I kind of tease her, because she almost dove to the altar, you know, yeah, she almost, you know, didn't you know, didn't persuade anybody to, need to talk to her, she just went up there. Me, on the other hand, I, I'm I'm hard-hearted by this time again, you know, I'm like, later for this, I don't need no church, I ain't gonna, so I walked to the back of the wall, the back of the church, and I, and I put up the international sign of uh, don't mess with me, you know, you know, we sit in the back and hold your arms and you just kind of look around, you're sending a signal to people. Don't bother talking to me. And I see my sister lean over and talk to this, this little, this guy, they called him Vato, you know, he's a little homeboy. And, and so basically she's probably telling him, Hey, go talk to my brother. So he comes up and approaches me. I'm on drug, right? He comes up <laughs> and he goes, Hey man, uh, you ever hear about Jesus? And I cussed him out. I said, hey, man, F you, dude. Get on my face, dude, because I'm going to drop you. Keep messing with me. You know? <laughs> he he kind of, I think I shocked him, you know? And so he, he walked away, and then, you know, so I'm sitting there in the back, just kind of, I guess, kind of an imposing threat to people, I guess. And then another guy walks up to me, and he starts talking. And I didn't brush him off because he looked familiar. I was trying to figure out who he was because he looked real familiar. Like, how do I know this guy? You know, And then as he starts telling me who he was, I knew his older brother and he looked like his brother. Oh, So I'm like, OK, so I'm connecting the dots and like, OK, so I wasn't quite as rude to him, but I didn't respond to his his, you know, his witness either. I'm just kind of like, oh, OK, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm not into it, man. But the altar kept going, you know, and my pastor just kept making appeals and pleading and, you know, and he said, "Yeah, he says you're here because God brought you here." And when he said those words, it's like, man, it's like the spotlight hit me. You know, mm. man, I felt like the finger of God was on my chest. I'm like, whoa, man, I'm. Mean, I was tripping hard. i was like, man, I'm in church. I don't, I don't know anybody here except for my girlfriend and my sister. I said, man, how does God know I'm here? And so I went up and tapped the guy that had just left on his shoulder, saying, "Let's will pray." And he was kind of shocked. He said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, man. I'll, I just don't know how." And wow. He goes, and so he led me in. So that's that, a
2: yeah. that's a pretty quick change of heart in like uh, only a few moments. You know, I was, from yeah. was from the first conviction. guy, you you cussed yeah. him out, and then uh, the conviction of God got you to the altar. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, he uh, yeah he was surprised that I
0: actually said yeah and walked up to him. And then, so we're praying and it was one of those ugly salvations, you know, where, you know, everything, all the junk I had in me came out, you know, weeping at the wow. altar, God's touching me. Um, you know, there's about 10 people at the altar with me, my, my girlfriend included. And then afterwards, you know, they, they made the appeal for uh, deliverance. And I, and I always joke, you know, you know, guy asked me that I prayed with you goes, you want to get delivered. I go, you know, what's deliverance, man? You know, like, you know, I didn't speak Christianese, man. That's a new language. Right. What are you talking about, man? He goes, do you want to stop doing drugs? I said, well, I can relate to that. And I said, yeah, dude, I hate math. I hate the way it makes me fit. And I says, I do it every day, but I hate it. Yeah, I'll pray. So there's about 10 of us praying you know, all there. And and uh, so the pastor's laying his hands on people, individuals. And I, I don't notice. It's like I feel like I'm the only one there, you know. But as he laid his hands on me, the, the power of the Holy Ghost hit me. And I was fell down under the power of God. And, you know, my first, uh, uh, response was to clench my face. I'm laying down and looking at the ceiling. And I, my, my response was, you know, I clenched my face. I'm looking around like who just pushed me, hmm. but I was inside. I was so filled with, uh, I guess joy. And I was sober, you know, I was in my right wow. mind. I'm like, Whoa, what just happened? And I'm, I'm blown away. I, I, like, I, I'm not on drugs right now. I'm not drunk. I'm not nothing. I'm like, what the heck, man? And I'm looking around. Everybody's on the ground with me. You know, all these people are on the ground. As a, the, br- the brother told me, he said, man, God just touched your life. I said, wow, man. I, so I got up and I made my way to my girlfriend. And we started to, you know, walk around the church as the church is, you know, closed now. And I introducing myself to people say, you guys got church tomorrow, man? I, I got to come back. And so we, I, uh, we left that night. I went to the parking lot and in the parking lot, I reached into my pocket and I grabbed my bag of weed and I chucked it out and my bag of speed. I threw that. My girlfriend said, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. You know, we got home to our apartment and, uh, I made a beeline right to my room where I had all the drugs, my scales, all that. Oh, wow. I I went and I, I, I threw all the dope I had in the toilet, flushed the toilet, broke my scales, tossed them in the trash, threw all my drug paraphernalia pipes bongs you name it i threw everything in the trash can. threw some old rock and roll albums out And uh and uh, first night first night and then i i uh i went uh, from the bedroom to the couch you know we, we decide. i say the same, right you know and so and i didn't know what fornication was i just knew i can't be doing this and so i, I moved to the, to the to the bed to the couch and so eventually a door opened up for us to uh you know I, I, one of the brothers he was in air Force at the time he he said, "Hey, man, I got extra room. you want to crash out of here so made that move, and you know eventually, my girlfriend and I about a year and a half later started the court and, and uh we got married been married thirty two years now wow so, she's still my girlfriend,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's gonna work out, yeah, I guess we're stuck with each other. <laughs> man well that is that is an incredible salvation story like in in one day god really did a miracle in you because you know you I, I hear a lot of testimony stories and it's not always like that it's not always i got uh 100 yeah, i'm sure god still supernatural had a, a few things to work on in your life but for, so, for the same day through that kind of a transformation I people, yeah i tell people
0: uh yeah, it used to frustrate me as a, as a young pastor, because, you know, my experience, I thought everybody, everybody have should that. have that. Right. Yeah. It says, I thought, you know, yeah, man, I, I've got saved. Everybody should get saved like this, you know, but right. you know, you learn that, you know, not everything's like that. And then there was an atmosphere in our church. My, my pastor had a, I, you know, I don't know, you know, he was involved. He was in the ministry. He was a follow up. Pastor there in Tucson when they had the great explosion from 200 to 500 plus people, and so I think there was still an element of that at work in his life because we had a lot of supernatural conversions like that in a period of about two three years. Mm -hmm. Just you know, radical people added to the church. So I was just one of them. My wife and I just one of them. So So,
2: yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of at the tail end of the Jesus People movement because you know that that all kind of occurred. Early seventies, late seventies, yeah. but you're talking about 1988. So you, you're almost like second generation disciples there. But uh, do you think that that was still connected? I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm actually a student revival man. I think
0: so. You know, okay. just because the radical conversion and the lasting fruit. Because you look what took place in the, in the Jesus People movement. Yeah, I mean, I've run into people here because I live in California. People in their seventies that you know still testify. I was changed and you know yeah. not a part of our fellowship but they're just they're still saved because that's in their dna and right. so i tell people hey man revival's in my dna i says god changed me and i says so i contend for that where i go and you know god honors it and I think there's people that uh, you know, i tell them my testimony like one day say, yeah one day yeah god,
2: that's real the one-step program right <laughs> yeah
0: steps to the altar and that's all it took
2: yeah exactly yeah. well uh why don't you share a little bit more about what was happening in the church there like how, how long had pastor struts been there and uh what was the atmosphere like okay well he got you know he was there since 85
0: he came in december of 85 took over pastor paul stevens pioneered pastor stevens i was preaching in el paso and we were having breakfast and he he asked me you know that i never had somebody ask me well, what's your testimony?" And so, I got to share with him, and so he was kind of glad that there was some fruit from his efforts. He pioneered the church in '81, and and Ben's Redhouse came in, I think, about a year and a half later, took over, and eventually moved the church to Colton, where my pastor took over in '85. And so, there was uh, mostly young girls and and some religious folks coming, you know. And so then, uh, I think in '86. God begin to move I started bringing some real genuine converts you know the guy that prayed with me was one of those converts we had some guys from the Air Force that were there you know relocated and stayed there and uh there was just uh, uh I guess an atmosphere of uh revival and, you know, I remember the even in the early days of our church one of the things I tell people too I've challenged pa- uh, pastors with that are considering on the verge of going full time I said listen I said I wasn't even there." And so when my pastor went full-time, he went full-time at 87. My pastor used to make uh, $400 an hour consulting fee. He's, you know, a few credits short of being Dr. Eric Strutz. Yeah, engineering science degrees and what have you. He was a professional engineer and uh, he pioneered the Rochester church. And so uh, he worked for Kodak, but he got saved there in Tucson, stuck it out. And so he's going full-time now in a... it's not a, you know, high business area where we we have our church. And so, and I says, God brought in people to support him, you know, when he made that decision. I said, I was one of those because, you know, as a new convert, I seen those envelopes in the back, the foyer, you know, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know how to say Christian language, you know. I said, I told one of the brothers, hey, what's a tip, you know. He says it's tithe. I said, okay, well, whatever, man. What is it? You know? He says it's ten percent. I said ten percent. What? The gross, the net? You know? He goes, well, you want the gross blessing or the net blessing? So, said, All right? So without even hearing the sermon on tithing, I started tithing. And uh, There was a uh, envelope that said, you know, pastoral support. I asked what that was, and he ch- shared with me that just you know, right at the end of '87, beginning of '88, he had went full time. And so I said, wow, okay, well, I'll do that too. So I made a pledge to. To support the pastor, you know, and then missions were on there, so I I just started giving, you know, I mean I gave my money to the devil for years, so I had no issue with it, and so but I I tell the other pastors that are on the verge, I says God will bring in people when you take that step, uh, you know I I learned that after the fact, you know, because down the road you look back and say Wow, God honored you know right. my pastor's move by bringing radical conversions to his church that really kind of helped set the tone for that that era. All the guys I got saved with, they're all pastors, most of our pastors, or have pastored, or have been missionaries. And so we got, you know, our, our litter, you know, you can say, you know, they've all gone out and preached. And we all used to street preach. We all had that little radical edge to us. We'd, we'd, we'd go find things to do. We'd, we'd travel, you know, you know an hour and a half to go find a place to street preach. You know, oh, there's a concert over there in Spring Break in Palm Springs, about an hour and a half down the road. We just go down there mm-hmm. and invade, you know, because we just wanted to do something. Never once did somebody have to tell us to go outreach or go win souls. We we're constantly trying to come up with something to do, you know, constantly go and find people. And so that was the atmosphere of the church. And then when we had revival services, man, there's times when the glory would come down, man, we didn't want to go home. We'd be there at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, still fellowship, it, you know, you know, hey, let's go do something, man. So it's kind of what I cut my teeth on. So I'm kind of, you know, that's kind of stuff I like,
2: man. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that definitely changes your perspective when you go to other churches and you, you know, they're not used to that or that they didn't have that same experience, but that's what, that's what you expect, right? Yeah. I look for it
0: all the time. I'm always, you know, praying. God, let this be the time. Let this be the one that uh, breaks loose. You know? Amen. And see uh, the glory, of God, come down. Something like what we experienced up there in the boot camp, and at a greater levels and greater frequency.
2: Praise God. So, um, well, tell us a little bit more about uh, about your girlfriend then turned wife. Like, what was that? What was that experience like? Um, going from a relationship in the world then to you know, making the decision to do it right and, and court her, what, what was, how, how was that, that different for you?
0: That's, that's a good question. And so, you know, here's, you know, she was uh, married. Okay. So she was married, but you know, she, uh, she was married to an abusive, adulterous man. This is how saved I am. I, I, that guy got saved and I followed up on him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saved, saved. You know, I cause you know, he came over, <laughs> he came over when we were, when we were dating and, and you know I was like ready to just, you know, pound them you know then next thing i'm saying i'm like bringing them to church wow <laughs> so anyways but you know because of that you know i wanted to escalate the thing further but she was still married so we kind of wait that's why we waited so long you know let her we were both fixed on jesus but i really felt that um you know in my own way that she was kind of an answer to prayer you know because how we met you know after you know, me talking to God and then she, you know, shes we're both two broken people who came together. And, uh, you know, she was uh, uh, abused as a way, physically abused. And so here she is uh, hurting and broken. And now she's got this other boyfriend who's a druggie and alcoholic. And, you know, she's probably thinking he's crazy. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be just like the other one, you know, because, you know, I had violent streaks, you know, in me. And so, but uh, as we made that separation, you know, You know, she sat on one side of the church. I sat on uh, the other side of the church. You know, we would say hi, you know, talk, but everything, you know, it wasn't even like a dating relationship, but I always had my mind. I'm going to marry that girl. Mm. So 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 did you guys
2: actually split up and you moved into different places? Yeah, I moved out.
0: And we had just actually right prior to our salvation, we had just moved into a bigger apartment. So now she's left with this bigger apartment that she can't afford. Mm. You know, and so me not knowing a whole lot, you know, the, Christian ethics and, you know, things like this. I'm a new convert. You know, I would send her a couple, you know, a few hundred dollars just to help her out. But, you know, eventually she moved back, you know, into a smaller basis she could afford. And so, and then, you know, once that took place, I just, we just kind of hands off, you know, until we started courting, you know. And so. And how long
2: well, was that? How much time had passed?
0: Got saved in 88. We started dating in 90. 90 because we got married
2: in 91. So, wow, got, so two years is a pretty long time, I would yeah. say. And so, and you know, how long had you been together before that?
0: Not very long. We were only okay. together for a few few months. Okay. You know, we met probably in April of that year of '88, and until we got saved, you know things escalated. And we're, like I said, we're just broken people that made a connection, you know, and we, and then when Jesus interrupted our lives, we just said, hey. This is what we need to focus on, yeah. You know? And we used to tease each other. You know, hey, don't if you backslide, I ain't backsliding with you, yeah. You know? And she said the same thing about me. Yeah, you know? we were a new converts. I'd call her up, and she was, you know, she was reading her word. I say, hey, man, I'm, re- I'm reading Gospel of Matthew. What you in? You know, so we just we would talk a little bit, but you know, nothing, nothing that would cross the line as far as you know, dating or anything like that. Just we're like we're just amazed at what God's doing yeah matter of fact we had a, a one of the brothers I was staying with uh, they lost the house, and so this was like within a month and I' just me just moving in and so we had to find another place and so I went back and stayed on the couch in the in the in the apartment with my with my wife Valerie. you know never did anything stayed clean but my friend told me he says man well he told me later on down the road he goes, I thought we are gonna lose you he says, because, you know, you went back to the house. I says, he says, so I told pastor, he says, he says, yeah, he's still coming to church, ain't he? And so, because God's doing a work, man. i do just doing it. work. Again. And so once I started to court her and treat her right, that eventually got married. You know, a lot of these things have developed into sermons, you know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over Absolutely. Years. But, uh, yeah, so. Good. So when you, you got saved at, at 25 years old, which is a little bit further down the road than most people, uh, they yeah. say something like 70 or 80% of Christians get saved before the age of 18, which is why yeah. those teen years are so critical for us to reach people in, in that time period. But uh, but having a little bit of life experience under your belt, uh, what my experience is people who get saved later in in their adulthood, 20s, and even into their 30s they tend to have more radical experiences like you do because they've seen the other side. Right. So yeah. pastor Campbell, for example, got saved when he was 29 years old. And so that's, that, that can show us a, a little bit, you know, why that, that, uh, that transformation is so powerful. So, um, you know, what, what kind of, I guess my question for you then would would be, um, how, how was the process of God, um, Renewing your mind like it was obviously salvation is a miracle of a moment. But that that work of uh, sanctification of God, you know, working in you, maybe you can share with our listeners some of the things that God uh, was trying to get out of you and also things that God was trying to get into you. Uh, good.
0: Um, well, I tell people, like, I, I guess I thought i was gonna be dead for I was twenty five. So I got saved two weeks before I turned 25. I got baptized the day before I turned 25. So I, the old man really wow, was did die Was, was, that, was that like
2: something that you had had told people?
0: I, I was just living that way. I just thought I yeah. just thought, hey, man, I'm gonna be dead before 25. I didn't care. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I crazy man. I mean, I would walk into a bar, see three people. Say, All right, you, 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 let's go. You know, hmm. and you know, I had a gun pulled on me. I was you know, I was pastoring in Fontana one time, and I stopped my in the middle of the sermon. And I and I told my church, I says, right across the street, you know, twenty five years ago. behind the car wash, you know, uh there's a little empty lot right there. I says, I, you know, I know these people. I says I had this tweaker come up to me. He accused me of, of sleeping with his his wife, and he was just out of his mind. And, you know, it's dark, rough, no good. Pulls a gun, he's got a gun on my chest, you know, point blank. And I told the church, I said, that man, who, you know, he was going to pull that trigger. And I, I said, I told myself, I, I wasn't even thinking about Jesus at the time, man. I wasn't thinking about eternal life. I wasn't thinking about heaven or hell. I was thinking, go ahead, pull the trigger, dude, because I'm going to come back and get you. You know, that was my mindset. You know, I was, I was out, I was on the edge, you know. And I told my church, if he would pull that trigger, I wouldn't be here today. he be mm. splitting hell wide open, you know. So that's part of the the renewal in my mind, because, because I was such a ticking time bar. I remember showing him to church in one of the first couple of weeks. We had uh, one of the ushers, you know, he's no longer with us, but you know, I guess God gave me discernment right away (laughs) because I show up to church with my girlfriend and the guy, he looks at his watch. He says, Oh brother, you're early. Praise God. You're here for prayer. And I'm thinking, I ain't going to let no punk talk to me like this. You know, he don't even know me. You know, and he's talking to me like I'm some little chump. I turned around and said, "Let's go get breakfast." You know, so I, you know, we and my girlfriend went and got breakfast, and we came back to church later when it started. You know, I was thinking, no, no, no. So God was he- dealing with me about, you know, because I wanted to punch him out. You know, mm. but I walked away and <laughs> went to breakfast. And there was other incidents where. God is really testing my patience with some of the brethren, you know, little thorns in my flesh. And I i would rein it in, I like, you know, and living in a brother's home, you know, for, for a short time. You know, there's some craze that you're living with. <laughs> these guys would test. Yeah, I had one dude, that, you know, you know, punch me in the face, you know. You know, because I, you know, I was, I was, you know, got into a little altercation. I just looked at him in his face and said, oh, you, I've been hit hard by girls. I said, That's all you got, man. I, I you know. You better not waste your time, bro. So God was dealing with me about not being so volatile, you know, and helping me to rein it in. And so, but he was being tested quite a bit, you know, because there were some brothers that really pushing, pushing some buttons. And and so that was being, you know, put in check, you know, the hatred. And eventually my dad came back that same year I got saved. And so, you know, he came back about two months after I got saved. So. I found out that he was, you know, part of his reasoning of why he wanted to visit the year before was that he had become a Christian. Okay. And so he got saved in prison. Oh, wow. And so he was, he had been praying for me. So I was like, okay. So it was kind of weird at first because, you know, here's my dad who I don't know as a dad. So I'm talking to him. I was calling him brother, uh, bro you know, talking to my father, you know, hey bro, you know, because we're Christians, because it just couldn't come out with a, with a, you know, Hey dad, you know, didn't, it just didn't, there was never that there for me. Mm -hmm. And so, so we squashed that eventually him and I, we actually had a very powerful uh, reconciliation a couple of years into my salvation and where, you know, I asked him to forgive me for my hate. And my, I told him, I said, man, I was planning on killing you. You know, and then when you know we, How did you react to that? He was he, he said I could believe it because I was yeah. the same way. You know, he was mm. you know, he was a violent dude too, you know. And uh, I said the only thing we hadn't uh, didn't have in common is is the prison. So everything else we did, we dealt drugs, we we you know, were violent, we were you know. It's kind of amazing how the curse went into in into my life, you know, the curse of uh, generations you might say. He was a black sheep in the family, I was a black sheep of mine, you know, without even knowing you know, our history. But once we got to talk, I said, wow, that's kind of crazy. How to... And then we're both redeemed. And my dad really had a, a heart for uh, the natives because I'm native. And so he had a heart for uh, native people. So he would travel to all the tribes, various tribes across the country, you know, for, for years. That's all he would do is go and witness to people on the, on the res. And he told oh, me, wow. he says, man, when I uh, First started, only 1 in 10 would listen to me. Says, now, you know, just a few years ago. He says, now 1 in 10 won't because there's such an openness of the gospel there. So the other thing that really helped me transform was the Word of God. I I, I made a decision to get a Bible right away. So I went and bought a big, giant print Bible. Not that I needed it then. I do need giant print now. But, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted a big Bible, man. So I got the biggest Bible I could find, and I, I I sat down and I I read the entire New Testament within about a month and a half, and then I said, you know, I'm gonna read the whole thing. And I started reading it for first two years of my salvation. All I did was just read the Word of God, just read and read and read. And so uh, that really helped me as far as you know, transforming how I view people, view life, view, view God, view salvation. You know, there was lots of things. You know, you know. God speaks to us as uh, as new converts, you know, run into a scripture and just comes alive to us, you know, a rhema to us. And I'm like, man, there were were reference points to me, you know, where I could, even to this day, I could still glean from, you know, certain texts and pop-ups, man, this became real 35 years ago and it's still real. And so, and since then, you know, I've been reading my Bible every year, you know, for 35 years, but you know, last gosh, 15 years, I can't, I don't read it just once anymore. Now I read it. I read my Bible twice through, and that's not including wow. my study time. You know, that's you know, that you know, that's when I study. It's a whole different thing. You know, I just that's I read my Bible twice a year just because I I love the Bible. You know, so but that's uh I think was a key factor. So I I've seen others who don't dig in the Word of God for themselves, right? And the struggle, it's the connection there. It's almost undeniable. You know. You, If all you do is read your Bible when you go to church, you're missing out a whole lot more.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe I'd like to double down on that because um, I think that 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 is such a missing factor in so many Christians today is that they maybe they have a respect for the Bible. They know that it's important for them. But, you you know, we we are seeing a, a drop off these days of people even reading books at all. Like there's yeah. so many kids that come out of high school not even knowing how to read well. And even if they did know how to read well, you know, they're so consumed with uh, other things, social media and video content that reading is just like a, a, it's a foreign concept to so many people. Yeah. I think that's a strategy from hell uh, to keep people away from the Word of God. Yeah, well, you know, everything's become digital.
0: Less part of it. You know, and so but with digital comes distractions, you know, but, uh, I, you know, I've tried to encourage my, my daughters, you know, Hey, you've got to have, you know, I, I told one of my daughters, she's 30 now. I think I told her when she was, I was pastoring at the time, she was 12. I says, listen, I says, daddy can't take you to heaven. Yeah, I says, you got to have your own relationship with Jesus. I said, he loves you dad on the cross for you. Says, but as much as I love you, I can't take you with me. And and I've shared that conviction. My wife and I both share that conviction with our daughters. And I think that's one of the reasons it became real to them. You know, like, hey, my parents are serious about this. And so I encouraged. I haven't, you know, beat them over the head with the Bible. But I said, you need to read your Bible because you're going to have a revelation of who he is, who God is. And so you'll come across moments in your life where the Bible becomes very relevant and very real. For you, person says, I try to encourage young converts, you know, to read. My pastor is a reader. You know, he's a very intelligent guy. Matter of fact, he preached a sermon in conference one year in Tucson that uh, a pastor should be reading, you know, at least eight books a month, and he took some flack. But see, my pastor does read eight books a month, you know, and so he was the one that kind of wet my appetite. For when I seen all those books in his house, man, this dude mm. reads a lot. I, I never read a book in my life, you know? So after I started getting a hunger for the word of God, I, you know, I also started reading other books, you know, you know, I, you know, I told some of the younger guys that are aspiring for ministry. I says, man, I says, I had, I had eternal security, you know, worked out baptism, the Holy Ghost worked out. I had all lots of doctrines, you know, Trinity. I says things you might not think of I said I had worked them out, made them my own. Just with books I read and study on my own before I ever went out to pastor I yeah. because I wanted to know who God was. I, I want to know these things. I, I just wanted to know it for myself, and I, I don't see that a lot. You know, it's kind of frustrating. You know, when you uh, mention books to people, you know, "Hey, you should read this." I'm like, what? They want the thirty-second, you know, shortcut article. You know, right. Right. You know? Exactly. And rather than yeah. digging in the word. I still, to this day, I try to read, you know, even on the road, I try to read two, three books a month. I shoot for that, but I don't always get it, but I get at least two in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, yeah, that's, it's a great that. goal to have. And actually, while, while we're on the topic, uh, I recently uh, found a way on uh, Amazon, they have a they have a new thing on there that allows you to create a group, like a book club kind of thing. And so I thought yeah, I, I got, that would be kind of a cool thing. Yeah, I got invited to a uh, CFM book club.
1: Oh that was
0: probably me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I joined. I haven't I haven't uh, participated in anything yet. So but I'm yeah. probably well, getting there and Still trying to
2: figure out how to how to get it to be something that's helpful, but I think it would be cool to have, you know, a group of pastors, it doesn't even have to be pastors, just people, you know, uh like-minded people reading the same book at the same time and, yeah. you know, sharing what we, what we're getting out of it. So I thought that might be a, a nice thing to do. So anyways, yeah, there's more to come on that.
0: Yeah, I got friends that'll, you know, people that know that I know are readers and people who know that I read, we'll ask each other when we see, Hey, what do you read? Yeah. What do you read? And so we'll, we'll share, Hey, I'm reading this. I've heard this on this. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm constantly picking up book ideas from pastors, you know, when I travel and say, Hey man, what are you reading? And, you know, I'll get <laughs> recommendations. I'll take, I'll throw little recommendations. Cause it's just more,
2: more tools for the trade, man. Do you have a, do you have like a top three? that you could share with uh, the listening audience? Oh my gosh. Top three. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't juggle around sometimes, but you know, there's uh, several books I've read. It depends on the topic too. You know? Sure. Yeah. You know, I just
2: read. Well, if you, Greg's if you, if you could visit. Oh yeah. On the healing power book, right? Yeah. 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 Very helpful. Um, yeah. if, if you could go back and put three books into the hands of brand new convert, Mike Gomez, what, what would you, what do you think you would give him? I would, I would put any book by J. Oswald Sanders in
0: her hand. Spiritual mm. leadership was one of them. Okay. That, you know, that's a definitely a, a good one to just read, read over and over again from time to time. I would put in a, uh, Light on the spot, castle skies. Ooh,
2: I haven't heard of that one.
0: Tell me. That, that's a worthy book, bro. That's a worthy book. Uh, on on, it's back from the 1800s. You know, I like old books,
2: old, mm. old revival books. I like to find I, out I, about books like that. Well, like, like I said, I you know, I, I,
0: I consider myself somewhat of a student of a revival. You know? so I read anything I can on revival. You know, and so uh, when when uh, God stepped down from heaven is another one,
2: you know, uh,
0: the Kentucky River. Give, Revi- give me that title
2: again, Lightning Bolts.
0: Lightning lightning Bolts from Pentecostal Skies. Okay. And uh, when, when God stepped down from heaven is another one. Yeah, there's a shoot. Books on Revival by Winky Prattney. There's a matter of fact, I got a study Bible by Winky Prattney it has got a study oh, wow. revival study Bible, and so which okay. is Thompson chain. That's what I'm currently working through right now. I, I, you know, I go through my study Bible like one chapter a day or two chapters a day, maybe. I kind of just chew on that and all the little notes and the you know chain references that they have. It's just stuff I like, you know. So that's one, and then you know, I would definitely recommend it the the Oswald smith books you know passion for souls that one's a good one
2: okay well i'm sure we could we could talk uh for ages about good books but uh we want we want to hear some more about your uh, discipleship journey uh you got married obviously start a family um you eventually got a, a vision for pastoral ministry and then for evangelism. And I'd like to hear about all that, but we're going to save that for our premium subscribers on the other side of the break. So uh, if you would like to hear the rest of this conversation uh, to our listeners, um, there's going to be links in the show notes below that you can use to, uh, to go ahead and connect with that. And again, all of our Proceeds are going for World Evangelism. We don't keep a dime. Uh, you're 3 bucks a month on Supercast or 5 bucks a month if you're listening through Apple Podcasts. All of that goes uh, to our Thursday night World Evangelism uh, in Chandler, Arizona. So uh, not only that, but you get to hear the rest of this awesome conversation with Evangelist Mike Gomez. But uh, even if you don't listen to that part of it, we do thank you for being a listener. And uh, uh, for those that will... Uh, be joining. We'll we'll see you on the other side of this break. Thank you for being a listener to the testimony Tuesday.